The following sermon was recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. Good morning. Um, yeah, the past nine months or so, Pastor Tim has been my uh, spiritual mentor as I was going through some seminary classes. Um, it was a field education time, and so he came alongside and was meeting with me as a spiritual mentor. And as he was going back on home assignment, he said, it seems like you haven't got a lot of reps um, preaching the word. And I said, no, that's, that's one thing I've never really got much of an opportunity. He said, well, let's get a rep. There's only one way to, to learn how to do it is just go do it. So here I am. And, uh, yeah. Um, I hate it when preachers say this, but I'm going to say it. So this message is for me, too. As I was preparing this week, it's a message on love, and as soon as you dig into the text, you start to realize, I don't, I don't do this very well. Maybe sometimes I do it okay, but my heart was massively worked on this week in preparation for the message, and um, we're, we're dealing with the question of how do we love one another in First John. Um, we have that great passage in First Corinthians 13 where it's love is kind, love is patient, Love does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, and so on and so on. And we, we go to that passage a lot to, to learn how to love one another. But First John also is telling us and informing us a lot of how we do this as well. And that's the core question today that we're wrestling through is how do we love one another? First um, John has been a tough book to go through if you've been listening through this series because he's really just black and white. He's, he's, you're either doing it or you're not. You're either a Christian or you're not. You're either patient or you're not patient. And he doesn't leave a lot of gray room in the area. And uh, maybe Romans, Ephesians, there's a little more gray area for grace where we get pressed with something we should be doing, but then there's, there's grace for us. And First John, you don't really pick up a lot of that gray area where, you know what, in the end you're, gonna, you're forgiven. Um, and I think we're going to need to really just press into First John this morning and let it challenge us. And let it command our hearts to be something, to be a certain person, to live in a certain way. And we get to the end of the message, we'll see Christ, and there will be grace. But let's really embrace the challenge to love in the passage today. Um, As we know in real life, love is not so black and white. It's a little bit more messy, it's confusing, it's really hard work. Um, In the stream of Reformation thought, we always fall back on grace. Um, But when I first became a Christian at 18... I wanted, I, I didn't know what to do. I didn't know how to live the Christian life. So, okay, I'm a Christian now. I know the Holy Spirit is inside me. What, what do I do? What do I say? How do I act? And I remember running to First John, because First John's just really blunt. This is what you're supposed to do. And James is the same way. Live like this. Do these things. Speak like this. And uh, that's kind of the tone we're going to get through, through the passage this morning. So how do we love one another? Um, do we give flowers to our spouse once a week? Maybe. Do we uh, call our elderly parents in America once a week to let them know we haven't forgot about them? Yeah, maybe. Do we enroll our kids in the top-notch school in Chiang Mai to get them the best education? Probably. It might be something we can do. Do we clean up the toys off the floor so our spouse doesn't have to go clean it up? Yeah, that might be something we go do too. But today in this passage, we're going to really jump into a couple core principles of how we love that will inform the rest of all these actions about how we live our lives. Um, this is going to be a lens to interpret why we're doing and what we're doing and the decisions we're going to make 
So flowers for your spouse could be a way to love your spouse. Um, but let's embrace the principles and see if we're doing that out of a, a, an act of love or not. Um, so I think a further question when we ask how do we love one another is what kind of a person do we want to be? And the first three verses here are going to jump into the story of Cain and Abel, which is odd because what does Cain have to do with love? But I think the challenge really is what, what kind of a person do we want to be in life? Do we want to be like Cain or do we want to be like Christ who really loved and showed us how to love? So let's go ahead and read 1 John 3 together. Um, let's stand for the reading of the word. It's 1 John 3, 11 through 14. For this is the message you have heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Unlike Cain, who was the evil one, and he murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his deeds were evil, and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. We know that we've passed from death to life because we love our brothers and our sisters. The one who does not love remains in death. Everyone who hates his brother or sister is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. This is how we come to know love. He laid down his life for us. We should also lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone in this world has the world's goods and sees his fellow believer in need, but withholds compassion from him, how does God's love reside in him? Little children, let us not love in word or speech, but in action and in truth. This is how we will know and belong to the truth. And we will assure our hearts before him. Whenever our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our hearts. He knows all things. Dear friends, if our hearts don't condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive what we ask from him because we keep his commandments and do what's pleasing in his sight. Now this is his command, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he's commanded us. The one who keeps his commands remains in him and he in him. And the way we know that he remains in us is from the spirit he has given us. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for coming to earth fully flesh, fully divinity, and showing us what love looks like. We want to be in you and remain in you today. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. So we're going to dive first in. You might have noticed the beginning is this uh, three or four verses on Cain and Abel. Um, we're going to focus in on that first. And I believe the Cain story was thrown into this passage in love because it's a wake-up call for us. Uh, before we ha- define how we to love one another, we've got to be warned. Like, watch out. There's a potential for Cain in all of our hearts. Um, we might not be close to murdering our brother right now, but it's very easy to start spiraling downwards in life. And then to the point where we're in revenge and bitterness and hatred. And the next thing you know, murdering your brother seems like a way out. And I think the passage was saying, warning, if you fall out of love, and if you fall into revenge and spite, and go down this path, it's a real possibility for every human heart. Um, In a sense, there's a cane in all of us that could be fed, it could be nurtured, it could be developed into a murderer. And then there's a sense that Abel was in us too, that could be fed and nurtured and developed, and we could develop into a person of love. So if you don't remember the story of Cain, um, after Adam and Eve, they had two sons, Cain was a keeper of the fields, of the plants and the fruit of the ground. And Abel was a man who kept the, the flocks of the fields. And one day they both came before the Lord and they presented their offerings before God. And Cain came and he presented the fruit of the grounds to the Lord. And Abel came and he presented the firstborn of his flocks. 
And the Lord regarded both their sacrifices, and he had regard for Abel's sacrifice. And Cain dropped his face, and he became angry. And shortly after, they were both in the field. And Cain said, Abel, come over to my field. Abel came over, and Cain rose up and killed his brother in the fields. And God walked over and said, Your brother's blood is crying from the ground up to me. What is this have you done? Where is your brother? And Cain responds, Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord cursed Cain and sent him out of the garden. Why are you angry? Why are your face downcast? I think it's a huge, huge question for us if we start falling out of love. This is what it looks like. And it's a warning for us that we can cultivate these things or we can cultivate love. Um, the result of sin does lead into a descent into hell. And, and in this earth, in some sense, it's possible that we could descend into a, a living hell by the way we live our lives. Um, there's a deep, dark hole. And verse 12 says... Cain was actually of the evil one, and that's where it could lead to. Um, if this is this is serious, if we don't figure out how to love one another, this can spiral downward quick. Um, so it gets worse for us because in verse 15, verse fifteen, the Bible says that Cain hated his brother and is a murderer, and no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. So it's very serious of what we're cultivating. Recently, I read a book on spiritual warfare. And I'm a Westerner, so I think more logically, rationally. Um, but I think it's good every once in a while to read these spiritual warfare books. And the reality is, I don't know sometimes if it's demons, the ones that are causing these temptations, or if it's just our own sinfulness and our own selfishness that do it. But the book pointed out how demons are looking for those weak points in our life, the points where we are offended, the points where we're bitter, the points where we've been hurt in the past, and we haven't forgiven and the book pointed out how demons are looking for those weak points to lash on and, and suck the life out of you to make you an ineffective Christian, to, to cause you not to be a person of love. And the less spiritual approach to this might say, uh, oh, you, you're just a sinner and you have sin in your life, so therefore you keep sinning. But maybe it's a little bit of both. Maybe we are drugged down by spiritual forces and maybe there's a sense that we're just foolish on our own. And we can descend into being Cain that way also. So I think this, this Cain story was, was put here into the beginning to let us know, look, feed sin. If you feed evil, if you dwell on the things not of above, you could, you could become of the evil one like Cain. But if we feed love, if we feed grace, if we feed on the word of God, if we dwell on the things that are above, if we act uprightly, if we sacrifice, if we forgive others, there's a sense where we could become like our Heavenly Father right now on this earth. So now that we're kind of all shocked by the example of Cain, let's go further into 1 John to see some practical ways that we are actually going to love each other and learn how to do this. So let's read verse 16 now together. John is going to, 1 John is going to get into how do we love. It's going to give us an answer. Verse 16, this is how we have come to know love. He laid down his love for us, and we should also lay down our lives for our brothers and our sisters. So how do we love one another? We lay down our lives for our brothers and our sisters. Uh, John 15, 13 says, there's no greater love than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. It's the ultimate sacrifice is that we would sacrifice our lives for others. 
There's varying degrees of love and acts and deeds that we can do displaying love. But the highest thing that we could do, the Bible says, is there's no greater love than laying it all down. Dying for someone else. Sacrificing everything you have out of love. We could wash feet, we could heal others, we could share a meal, but laying down our life is the ultimate. And that's what we see in Christ. No greater love than he who has laid down his life. What would be the opposite of this? Well, if we didn't lay down our lives, then we would just be caring about ourselves, sacrificing only for ourselves. We would be me first. We would be my needs, my wants first. And there's a sense where every day we might live in that a little bit. But the Bible is calling us to lay it down. Not me first, but others first. My family first, my friends first, my church first, my neighbors first. And to live in such a way that they're more important than ourselves. Love means to sacrifice. It means caring for others and not just ourselves. Love means to give our time. Love means to give our money. Love means to give our efforts, our aids, our energy, our investments, our talents, our skills, our help. We give those to others and not to ourselves. Imagine a family that's truly laying down its life for one another. The, the wife isn't thinking about what she's going to do for herself. She's out. How can I help my husband today? How can I help my kids? Imagine a husband who's likewise right back saying, how can I help my wife today? How can I help my kids? And this cycle of love and sacrifice is developed and cultivated within that family. That's what the scriptures are calling us to live like. Not a husband who just cares about himself. Wife just does cares about herself. Kids do their own thing. That's not the, the, the cultivation of love that the scriptures are calling us for. Imagine a church body where we're mutually laying down our lives for one another, sacrificing for the good of the other. Imagine a, a nation, imagine Thailand, where they see the love of Christ and they authentically start laying down their lives for one another, back and forth, back and forth. Imagine a, a president, a prime minister, a king who gets this and starts laying down his life for others. Wouldn't it be a bit more like heaven, right? But how do we love one another? We lay down our life for one another. So we know we can love one another through sacrifice. Now let's keep going along and see what the next verse says about how to love. Verse 17, let's read it together. If anyone has this world's goods and sees a fellow believer in need, but withholds compassion from him, how does God's love reside in him? So now we see in verse 17, how do we love? With an open heart. The passage says, we see a brother in need. We have a way to do something about it. But then we close our hearts. Uh, I'm not really going to help that. I'm going to close my heart. What the passage is calling us for was we see a need. And we, have some, we have something we could do about it. I have a resource. I have some time. I have an education I could help them with or something. And I open my heart to that person in need. That's what it's speaking of here. We can't be people who close off. We see a need and we open our hearts and go for it. We don't even know really what the need is. It could be spiritual. It could be physical. It could be mental, relational, occupational, educational. But we open our hearts to it. And we don't close away and walk the other direction. It's not like a, a clearly defined box of needs the scripture is calling us for. It just says there's a need. And we need to have the type of heart that's more apt to say, oh, I open. Instead of having a heart that's more quickly to close. That's what we're called to do. 
We see the need, we have an opportunity to help, and then we open up. Um, the Old Testament, the Lord's kind of consistently desiring his people to help others' needs. I mean, he was about Israel. He loved Israel. But it was also very much, look at the sojourner in your lands. Uh, look at the widow and the orphans on your streets. Deuteronomy says, if anyone is poor among your fellow Israelites in any of the towns of the lands the Lord you're giving you, don't be hard-hearted or tight-fisted towards them. This is, a, this is the message of the whole scriptures. Don't be hard-hearted. Don't tighten your fists. Don't close your hearts towards people. Don't be callous. Don't be merciless. Don't be brutish. Don't be hard-hearted. Open your hearts. I think of the story of Jesus told this. There was once a man walking from Jerusalem to Jericho, and along the way a band of robbers jumped on him and started beating him. They took all of his money, stripped him of his clothes, and he laid off into the side of the ditch. A priest came along, saw the man, and kept walking. A little bit later, a Levite came along, saw the man laying there in need, closed his heart, walked on. Shortly after, a Samaritan came along, saw the man in need, saw the brokenness. He opens his heart, and he meets the need, and he supplies the money for the inn and the money to get the guy raised back to health again. The unrighteous man is the one who closes our heart. That's the whole point of Jesus is pointing out there. We can't close our hearts. We have to be ready to be open to others in needs. Um, it doesn't matter what other good things we've been doing in life. You could be a priest. You could be a Levite. You could be a missionary. You could be uh, the best Christian teacher. You could be anything that's doing these really good deeds. But if we were closing our hearts to the guy laying in the ditch, watch out. Be, be warning the scriptures are saying. Well, there's a, there's a sense that we can manifest the kingdom of God, the kingdom of love, in every moment daily that we're meeting. If there's a need, there's a chance to manifest the kingdom of God. Um, so let's rise up to the challenge, and instead of maybe feeling guilty about it, let's say, yeah, let's do this. Let's be a people who are constantly open and constantly embracing others. And the kingdom will be manifested through that. So we can love one another through these points. We have by laying down your life for others... Point two is with an open heart. Let's go to verse 18. Little children, let us not love in word and speech, but in action and in truth. So now we see a call to authenticity. How do we love one another? We don't just talk about it. We do love. It's not just words. There's there's actual actions that are following. It says in the verse, not in word and speech, not, not through here, but in actions and in deeds. There's a sense where the scripture's calling us out here for being hypocritical. saying, you can talk the love, talk, but are you walking the love? And um, it, the scripture says, abandon this way of living our life. Let's not do that anymore. Let's not just say, I love you, without there being something behind it. It becomes an emptiness, emptiless expression. Let's not be the kind of people that people don't trust because they know we're just unreliable. Oh, the person says he's going to help me and he's going to be there for me, but he's not really reliable. The, the, the scripture says do it in deed and action. That's where it's important. Um, we can talk the talk, but if we're not trustworthy because we're not following through with real actions in life, then it's really meaningless. It's not love. Abandon these ways of living. That's what the scriptures are calling us. 
There's no, there's really, I mean, uh, there's really no way around what the scripture's saying here than just to start doing it. And sometimes we can get caught up on our emotions. I don't really, I don't feel like loving, you know, my emotions aren't there. I don't, I don't feel like sacrificing. I don't feel, you know, we get wrapped up and I don't feel, I don't feel, I don't feel like it. But sometimes it's better to just do the love and the emotions will follow after. You may not feel like loving your spouse in that moment, but I would argue it's far better to just go ahead and do the love in action and then your emotions will come along later. Even when your emotions are a wreck, do the right thing. Um, it's far better than do, doing the hypocritical route. Um, we just keep getting the cereal ready in the morning time. We keep reading our kids' books before bedtime. We keep um, taking our kids to school in time. A parent doesn't just stop doing this because he doesn't feel like loving. We keep preparing the dinners. We keep washing the clothes. We keep loving indeed. And the emotions will come along. What? That's not what the scripture's saying here. It says, do it indeed. Um, what's our right motive then? Well, I want to love and be like King Jesus. This is what he would do. If he was here right now, the Lord would look at the man in the ditch, and he would go over and embrace the man. What would he do if he was right here? I know that old phrase, what would Jesus do, is kind of an old term from before my generation, I believe. <laughs> but... It's, it's, there's something to it. What would Jesus do? Let's, let's do it. Let's not talk about it. What would Jesus do? Go, go do it. Um, there's no hypocrisy here. We're trustworthy with our words because we're following through. So how do we love one another? We've seen we lay down our lives, we have an open heart, and we're authentic. Okay, the passage is going to go to one more section here about a conscience. You guys might have picked up on the conscience parts when we were reading it. It's kind of an odd break. What does a clear conscience have to do with this? I'm going to reread verses 19 to 22 real quick, and then let's, let's see what that says. This is how we will know that we belong to the truth. We will assure our hearts before him. Whenever our hearts condemn us, God's greater than our hearts. He knows all things. Dear friends, if our hearts don't condemn us, we have confidence before God, and we receive whatever we ask from him because we keep his commands and do what's pleasing in his sight. So we love through a clear conscience now we're seeing in these verses. Um, I think there's a lot of warnings through here. And there's a a sense that this is warning us that we can reject our conscience. Our conscience could be leading us to the man alongside the road. But we could be a priest or a Levite and keep going on. And we reject the idea of acting in love. And there's a real danger that we could just doing that every day. Saying no, no, no. My conscience is telling me, but I'm not going to do it. I'm going to keep moving on. And we could harden our conscience. And then the next day we do it again, and we harden our conscience. We do it again the next day, and our our conscience gets to the point where we stop feeling the need to even help. And that's where Cain comes in. Because Cain, in a sense, we don't know the details behind it, but there was likely a slow spiraling, 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 spiraling. That led him to the point where he's murdering his brother. And I believe it was likely through a hardening of the conscience over time. There, he knew the right thing because he was, we, we know God was walking in the field. He had to have a conscience that was telling him this wasn't right. But there's a sense where you harden it so much and you get to that point. So let's have a conscience to lay down our lives for others in verse 16. It could harden. We could close up our conscience and then we don't even sacrifice for others. Let's have a conscience to open our hearts to the people's needs. Verse 17. Let's have a conscience like the Samaritan who looked over and opened his heart. 
Let's have a conscience that doesn't harden and loves indeed and not just talk. Let's not be hypocrites and just talk about it. Let's open our conscience and have a soft conscience, a soft heart for these things. The bottom of the cycle of this hardening process is Cain. And that our conscience might tell us to be do loving, to do some kind of obedient act, but then we break that cycle um, and we could descend to becoming a murderer. There's a point when our conscience could harden that revenge is the best way forward. And that's an ugly place to be when bitterness is like all you can think about. And then anger becomes the explosion out of that bitterness. Let's let love be what rules in our conscience and let's not harden our conscience. So we have these four ways to love. We lay down our lights, we open our hearts, we do it authentically. And now we do it with a clear conscience where we're not denying our conscience and hardening it. I believe these last couple verses are challenging. It's challenging because it's calling us to live to a higher life. Uh, the Bible is demanding, and it calls for us to live something far, far, far more heavenly and far less earthly. And it's hard because we get cut up in our day-to-day, and we do start living earthly, and we start living, stop living sacrificially. I think the deeper question we need to, to answer as we, as we start rounding off this passage is, what kind of a person do we want to be um, what do we want to be like? Do we want to love others well? Do we want to avoid the path of Cain? Do we want to be a man that's reliable? Or do we want to be a man that's hypocritical? Do we want to be a man who's all talk, but no action when it comes to actually loving? It's a challenge to love. What kind of a person do we want to be? What do we want to be known for? Do we want to be known for our love or do we want to be known for our hardening, our guilty conscience, our hardened conscience, our unsacrificial life? Ultimately, we want to be a people who is like King Jesus, known by our love. There's really no alternative. Nobody in here is probably answering, yeah, I, I do want to go the King route. We have to embrace the love route. There's no other way to live life. Like I said at the beginning, First John is very black and white. You're either doing it or you're not. You're either a Christian or you're not. There's no like side door excuse out of the other side. But I think something that needs to bring up is why even love other people. Not to please other people. Not to feel good about ourselves. Not to build up self-righteous acts. Not to say I'm a good person. We do it for the glory of Christ. We love because he first loved us. He's given us the model. He's given us the example. Jesus sacrificed his life, so we'll sacrifice our lives. Jesus opened his heart to the needs of others, so let's go open our hearts to the needs of others. All throughout Chiang Mai and surrounding region this week. Jesus lived an authentic life of love, so let's go do the same. He didn't just talk. I love humanity. He went and laid his life out on the cross. He showed it in real actions, real deeds really displayed love. So let's go do it too. Let's really display it in what, how we live. So you might be feeling, ah, oh, dang, this isn't good at all because I'm, I'm not really all that good at loving. Uh, I'm going to fail at loving this week. I'm going sacri- to be more selfish this week probably than sacrificial. I'm probably going to live this week a little bit more hypocritical than I'd like to say. And we're all there in some sense. But let's embrace the challenge. We have to aspire for this. We have to shoot for a life to live like Jesus. What would Jesus do? Let's embrace it. We can't 
um, choose the alternative because it looks like Cain. So I think First John does have this amazing verse because First John has been so black and white, do it, do it, do it, do it. But you might be feeling, gosh, I, I'm a horrible person because oh, I spent the past week thinking about myself the whole week. And uh, wow, that's embarrassing. If people really knew what I was like, oh, wow, that's horrible. Well, brothers and sisters, let's read this together on the screen. First John 2, 1 says, My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only ours, but for the sins of the whole world. So if you sin, know you have an atoning sacrifice. You won't live like Jesus 100% this week. Does that mean we don't try? No, let's go for it. Let's live like Jesus really this week. But please know that we have an advocate with the Father. Run to Jesus when you don't love well. Let's press into the challenge. What kind of a person are we becoming? Are we becoming like Cain or are we becoming like Abel? Are we hypocritically loving or are we doing an actual deed in truth? Do we have our hearts open or do we not? There's a, there's a sense it's a legalistic umph in this book where if you're a Christian, you need to be doing this. And there's no other way. Um, Dallas Willard has a great quote. Um, it says, Grace is not opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning So we have to get that right. Don't earn your way along through love. But let's let's exert some effort in it. Grace isn't opposed to us exerting some effort. But we're not going to earn our salvation by doing this. Because it's paid for by the blood of Christ. But please, 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 let's actually show some effort and go for it this week and the weeks ahead. The call to to love awfully means that we're going to fall short. Because no one can love like Jesus loves. But run to Christ when your heart hardens. Run to Christ when you act like Cain more than Christ. Run to Christ when you should have sacrificed and you didn't sacrifice. Run to Christ when you know that you're just loving in word, but you didn't do it in deed. Run to Christ when you close your heart to the needs of others. Run to Christ when you act hypocritically. Run to Christ when resentment gets built up in your heart. The Christian life is not a life lived perfectly with all of our good deeds. But it's a, it's a life where we're constantly fleeing towards grace when we fall short of the glory of God. Let's go ahead and pray. Uh, no greater love is this than a man who lays down his life for his brother. Jesus, you didn't just talk about that. You actually showed us it. You did it for us. Thank you for loving us indeed and not just talking about it. Thank you for opening your heart to needs. We're in need, Lord. All of us here, we're in need. And we know that you're a God who opens your heart instead of closes it. Lord, Lord, thank you for not shunning us away when we live more like Cain. But you're constantly welcoming us back. And I pray that we would live lives that that run to Christ when we don't love well. And um, help us to live more like you this week. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org.